G'day and welcome to Authorised, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier, and another ripper on the way uh, for this episode. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, the book is called The Tour. The author is Andrew Mackey. We'll talk to him very shortly. Also on this podcast, we'll catch up with one of the team at our uh, partners in the podcast, that's CSCG. If you're wanting to talk to someone about your financial situation, whether it's taxation, whether it's superannuation, which is what we're going to touch on in this episode, just give them a call or check out their website, cscg.com.au, or give them a call. They're happy to have a chat on 03. 03- Double nine seven four eight triple three oh three double nine seven four eight triple three CSCG. Fantastic to have them as part of the family here at the Authorised Podcast. Today, speaking of families, it's the Royal Family. The name of the book is The Tour. It's a really interesting concept. He's a really interesting man that we're talking to. He's a first-time author, but he has credentials in many, many other areas. We'll find out all about that now as we catch up with Andrew Mackey. 1954 is a long way from 1970. Why the fascination with the 1954 uh, tour by the Queen and Prince uh, Prince Philip and the entourage? I've never seen the Queen or met the Queen. My mum was a bit of a, a monarchist. I think that um, she kind of bred that into me a bit. But when I grew up, I guess, and got a real job, I, I, <laughs> I worked in film, um, distributing films and producing films. And one of our biggest hits was the King's Speech. And I, and I sort of noticed that you know, anything that seems to have a royal association gets this disproportionate amount of attention from the general <laughs> public. <laughs> and well, the fifty-four tour makes the Rolling Stones look like Nancy boys. I mean, fifty-eight days, <laughs> fifty-seven cities, seventy-five percent of the population came out. Uh, fifty fifty thousand miles by you know air, road, train, and uh, almost a camel. An extraordinary logistic uh, exercise before you get into the nitty gritty of you know what actually went on behind closed doors. Oh, it's it's incredible. It's like an Olympic sized event and possibly even bigger. And um I think that is one of the things that hooked me into it. It's like we haven't actually heard much about this tour, you know, in modern in modern time. Once you start to dig into the detail of it, the scale was quite extraordinary. And the Queen was away from home for almost six months and she had like a uh, I think it was like three or six year old at the time, but stayed behind. She she travelled Australia for almost two months and went to not just the cities, but lots of smaller towns, you know, from Bundaberg to Melbourne. And she, she put in the hard yards and it wasn't easy. She was a, a relatively newly coronated queen and it was midsummer and that was the first time a reigning monarch had set foot on Australian soil. soil. So the, the obsession and the, uh, the buzz was just, I mean, the hype was just incredible. It's funny to look at newspapers of the era and the front pages and the stories that ran. So yeah, incredibly. In fact, I've got I've got it in my sitting in front of me now. There was a booklet the government distributed about how to um, what to do if you're going to see oh, the Queen and God. what you should wear. Uh, it's, it's quite hilarious. I picked up one on eBay, and it's uh, it's, it's, it's it's pride of place on my desk. It's just fantastic. So yeah, it was it was incredible. I mean, and I don't think we'd ever see anything like it again. So where did uh, when did the idea of uh, of dropping two 19-year-old identical twins in the middle of this tour uh, as sort of characters when when did when did that come to you the, the seed of the idea for the book came from a photo I saw I happened upon of the queen when she visited Wagga on the tour mm. and she was being paraded down this line of sheep that all have been positioned with their asses out. So it's like she sort of, it's just this hilarious black and white photo. It's online. You can see it. And that kind of, that 
to me nailed the sort of tone of what could be a really quite entertaining book. Um, and then the second piece of the thing that led to the Twin Sisters was there was this incident at in Victoria in the uh, when they, the Queen and Prince Philip had a weekend off. They were staying in a chalet in the Yarra Rangers, uh, hidden away from you know the public and media. But they had a fight, and there was a camera crew positioned at the perimeter of the block, and they actually filmed the Queen storming out after Prince Philip and throwing a tennis racket at him. Oh, yeah. um, and then they confronted the media, and uh, or they confronted this news crew, and they handed over the film willingly. But it's a scene that's actually that was captured. Um, the Crown series actually had features this moment. And I saw that and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to find out what happened behind the scenes? So I, I sort of fantasized this backstory of these warring twin sisters who kind of fluked their way onto the tour as maids um, in London. So you basically, uh, Bill and Ted's Big Adventure, you put these two uh, Violet and, and Daisy, <laughs> you've you've uh, you've dropped them into the middle of this. Uh, they're totally different characters. Uh, they bring totally different things to the table. But uh, the way you've interwoven them into, and the way their story plays out, uh, you must have had a lot of fun writing this. Did you have a storyboard done? I mean, you've got a film background, obviously, in producing and stuff. But did did you have a storyboard of where it was going, or did it kind of develop for you as you were going along? Look, I did. I actually wrote it first as a screenplay, oh, and. Okay. I thought this is such a fun idea. I wanted to dive in as, as part of a writing process. I thought, well, I'll write it. I've got the screenplay, which is sort of all the heavy lifting. Why don't I expand it into a novel? And it was essentially plotted out as a movie first. And um, yeah, I mean, I just had so much fun writing it. I mean, it's just so great. I mean, it's difficult writing Twin Sisters. Uh, as a, I'm a first time author. And balancing the movements of the narrative with the actual events of the tour. So I, we tried to adhere exactly to specific dates and yeah. times and places. And that was a bit of a juggle, but um, just so much fun just sort of unleashing these two sisters who really don't like each other in the middle of this kind of, um, you know, ex- explosion of, uh, of, of the Queen in Australia. The uh, the characters are, 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 I guess, creatively based on, uh, on, on real people in many parts. Yeah, they are. Um, I mean, certainly the tour, I've changed names to protect most of the innocent in terms of the touring party and the royal family and their staff. But at the back of a book, I talk about who some of the characters were based on. Yep. Um, but certainly the sisters are, are a kind of a, a an invention, you know, definitely a fantasy. And I, I, I think, you know, they're, they're such fun. It's such a fun couple of characters because they're, they're completely opposite, yet they look exactly the same. The, uh, the royal family's always been, uh, you know, the world's greatest and longest-running soap opera, um, and <laughs> you've kind of you kind of uh, got in there. But it's not all beer and skittles, is it? I mean, things like the the room that the girls were in on the on the boat coming out, all the, all those sorts of things. You've you've delved into that sort of side of it as well. So it's not all kind of you know beautiful uh, sandwiches and fine china. There's there's a bit of nitty gritty in there as well. No, exactly, and that's and that's kind of what I wanted to do is show the sort of you know the unglamorous underside of a tour such as this and obviously you know whenever the queen's out front it's it's all prestige and premium and everything is perfect but um behind the scenes it's you know it's it's a job and it's tough and and you've got the the added stress of doing it in the middle of it's like as you said it's, it would be like touring with the beatles or the rolling stones it would uh you're just in the middle of this pop culture storm and it's constantly on the move so they cut every day they were 
flying or driving or on a train moving to um, their next location. So it was just it was relentless. I mean, I don't know how the Queen, I don't know how she does it. I mean, oh, I kind yeah. of got renewed respect for her. And just meeting people constantly, all day, every day, and having superficial conversations yeah. <laughs> by nature of the job. I think I'd become an alcoholic within about two or three days just to deal with it. I really don't know. Well, well there are stories that that you know, could be the case in some, some members of the royal family. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. You're, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, yeah. I, mean, I do have a renewed res- respect for her, having done all this research. And I think a lot of politicians come and go, and, but she's always been there and she's been you know, kept calm and carried on and... Whereas I think some members of a royal family are just under carrying on bit, really. But yeah, she's, she's been like a rock. Uh, the uh, the term creative license did that allow you to do whatever you wanted to do with this, or did you did you kind of discipline yourself in the parameters? Okay, I have to be within the tour and the and where it went. So I want to I want to remain faithful to that as much as I can, but I still want to have some fun and muck around with it a bit. I did. I did. And that was the hard part. I tried to I tried to remain as true to the facts of the tour as possible. The sort of outward-facing facts. It sort of created some narrative challenges because there were certain certain incidents and fights I wanted to play out. I wanted one to play out in Broken Hill, for example. But in terms of timing of the tour, it might have been much later in the tour than I would have wanted it in reality. So sometimes, uh, generally, we stayed pretty true to it all. But that was the that was the hard part is trying to marry the kind of beats of the drama and the escalation of the sisters' deterioration of her relationship with the actual places they went to. It's it's interesting to talk about creative license because I've tried to remain as factually true to the tour as possible, yeah. but I've written a completely fictional story behind the scenes. <laughs> so it's sort of a weird, on one hand, it doesn't feel right to be talking about being sticking to the facts, but um, as far as the facts in this book, uh, we've tried to, been true to them and then had fun around the edges of it. Absolutely. I mean, using chewing gum to stick an emerald back on the tiara probably never happened, but it's a, it's a, good, <laughs> it's a good story. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's sort of funny because some of the things that you might think fictional in the book actually are factual, such as, I mean, on the 1963 Queen's Tour of Australia, the whole thing with Aragard. Yes. That's, that's true. Yes. You know, that really happened. So there are some things that I think, until you read that last the, the the last chapter where I explained some of the actual events and what was real and what wasn't, um, you might just think that was a fabrication. Who knew that the Queen's Tour was actually a CSIRO uh, research uh, and development uh, <laughs> tour? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. She was a guinea pig for Erigard. Quite hilarious. You mentioned it started as a, as a uh, film script. So is it going to be a film? Because it, it, it obviously it sort of sits in that genre really easily. Yeah, it does. Look, it's look. I'm hoping it will be. It's sort of it's so hard. These things take a long time, and the thing about this book is, it's as you know from reading it. Every it feels like every second scene is some massive crowd scene, yeah, period crowd scene, which is sort of like one of the most expensive things from a production point of view to shoot. So, it's an expensive project, but it'll take time, and I think. I think hopefully it will be. I mean, we're, I'm I'm trying my darndest to to make that happen. So I watch this space. I would say when you were writing it, did you uh, did you think about uh, the nine uh, the you know the 
2021 version of this and what, you know, that film would never, ever, I mean, it's never seen the light of day, that film of the fight. That would never happen these days. There's not enough money in China to be able to buy that off a, off a paparazzi person. The the sort of values and, and where the world's gone now, sort of 70 years later, it, it, does it kind of, did you think about that when you were writing this at, at times? Yeah. I mean, you question, sometimes I question whether we're, we're better off, and, you know, and you look at the negatives of the internet and social media and news distribution today versus what the, pod, the benefits of the internet, which is extensive, obviously. But, I mean, it's funny. You mentioned that moment where the King and Queen fought and it was captured on film. Today, obviously, that would be uploaded before anyone to the internet and distributed globally within an hour yeah. before the royal family could do anything about it. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, on one hand, I think being able to control media the way they have so effectively has been great for their brand. You know, you've got to look at the upside of this sort of free-flowing of information, the negatives and the positives. And look, it did make me it did make me ponder had what we'd lost in that regard and yeah, I mean, I think the poor Queen has lived through it all and uh, I think a lot of the things that the royal family get reported about the royal family today, in 40 years ago, they would have been just effectively, they would have been able to just bury it yeah. quite easily. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, do you need uh, approval of any description from the Buckingham Palace to, to, to write a book like this? Or do, you, do you run anything past them? Are there any protocols there that you have to follow? No, none, um, That's thankfully. <laughs> It's weird. I mean, I mean, it's good, but it's weird. It's, yeah, I mean, I'm unless I'm look. Maybe I'll get a a, a sternly worded uh, legal letter at some point. But look, I think it's all fair. It's pretty fair game, and certainly, I mean, maybe not so much Prince Philip, but I think the Queen comes out of a book looking okay. Although I think there is a moment where she confronts um, one of my lead characters, and I think originally we had her slapping my lead character across the face, and I thought. I thought better of that, and I also thought, oh, the Queen actually probably wouldn't do that. So, uh, so yeah, I think – I mean, I'd love I'd love for her to read it, but I'm sure she would just – I just don't think she would read it. Well, if you, if you get a postcard that says one is not amused, you know that she's actually had a look at it. Well, one is not amused by this. Um, exactly. If my 100th birthday card doesn't turn up, I think I'll, I'll know why. Yeah. Uh, Violet or Daisy, What? which, which was the character that was, was the most fun for you to write or were they both uh, pretty much the same or do, do you kind of – do you lean one way or the other? Look, um, I think it's funny. The fun one this for people who haven't read it, one is kind of stitched up and – Conservative and always wants to do the proper thing, and the other one is a little bit more freewheeling. And it's the stitched up one I found more fun to write because the, she can react to what the other character is doing, and the other character can behave so badly. And that's a lot of fun as a writer to to write characters that are, are like that. But it was quite fun. The more stitched up character, um, <laughs> Violet, just yeah. Making her suffer as a writer was, and and and, and writing her through all those cringeworthy moments uh, is is a bit of a joy. So yeah, I, I think she would she would be my preference. You've got your own uh, film distribution company. You're, you're a producer of uh, of great films. You mentioned the King's Speech. Is the word author next to your name now really kind of like that? That's you're a bit chuffed about that. I I am. I, yeah, I love it. I mean, I I I'm so I'm so happy that Penguin saw the potential in it, and I think. I mean, it was interesting because um, I wrote the book pretty quickly, but it, but working with a publisher and a, a wonderful editor, Catherine, it was the rewriting and the re 
reimagining of it and a lot of the work that went in, it sort of taught me that in a way you don't just write a book and it's done. It's like, in a way, it's not like screenwriting where rewriting is the thing. So much, this book was so elevated by the process of working with people who've done it before. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I love writing because I, I don't really like meeting. So, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> we, we we have something in common immediately. <laughs> so, is is there a second novel beating around in your head at the moment, or is it all too early to ask that question? Um, it's half written. Um, oh wow! But I yeah, but I um, I've got I've got young kids, so uh, sort of as they enter one three and one six, so. It's been harder to write this one around the noise of uh, of them, but I'm getting there. So hopefully, uh, hopefully in a year or two, someone might publish it, which would be nice. Well, congratulations on the tour. A mighty book, a, a really good idea, just a, a terrific idea and well executed. So congratulations on that. And uh, uh, let's hope we do see it on the big screen at some stage. Fingers crossed. Thank you very much. Thanks for talking to me. It is a terrific idea and well executed. I'm sure you're going to love this book. And I'm pretty sure it's going to finish up being a movie at some stage too, or at the very least a, uh, a miniseries, if not a big blockbuster movie. It'll be one of, the, one of the other at some stage, I would think. Andrew Mackey, the book is the tour. Now let's talk some finance now. Our partners in this podcast, of course, are CSCG. You can talk to them yourself if you want to on uh, 99748333. Uh, we're talking uh, today to one of the, uh, the team at CSCG. It's Jackie Downing and uh, her area of expertise is one that uh, affects us all and maybe not today but certainly in the future. Thanks for joining us on the Authorised Podcast Jackie, it's lovely to have a chat. Thank you for having me Kevin. Uh, Now superannuation is your area of expertise correct? That's right. All right well let's talk about what an SMSF is because that is basically a self-managed super fund and that's and that's the area that you're in so how how does that affect uh, someone who's listening to this podcast right now? So an SMSF or a self-managed superannuation fund basically is another alternative to superannuation that taxpayers can use. So instead of a retail fund or an industry type fund, a taxpayer may choose to to set up a self-managed superannuation fund. Effectively what that means briefly is that they have control over their own investments so they choose what they're investing their money in. And I guess uh, that comes into if you're a, if you're a massive risk taker, you can take massive risks. If you're conservative, you can be conservative. And if you you know want to be somewhere in between, uh, talk to someone like yourself and uh, get the advice on on where you sit in in that sort of uh, sphere. Yeah, look with SMSFs, Kevin. What we need to do is we need to actually work with financial planners as well. So we need to ensure that we're covering off all the the investments and making sure that they're all documented. So it's not a simple process, but it's definitely something that you can take whatever risk that you're you're comfortable with uh, and make your own investments. And the other thing that I guess is the flexibility of a, a self managed fund is that is that one of the big advantages. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So flexibility, having control over your own investments is definitely a couple of the key areas that, that people move into that area for. Was it a handy thing to have in, you know, the last 12 months when we've had the COVID situation, a lot of people uh, have had, uh, you know, their finances dry up a little in terms of what's been coming in through the front door. So uh, having a, a self-managed super fund that, that is as flexible as you say has probably been a really good thing for people in the last 12 months. 
Well, look, obviously it depends on your ages. So getting money in and out of super is not always as easy as we'd like it to be. Um, there's lots of rules around all those sorts of things. But most definitely, if you speak to your accountant, financial planner, there's definitely ways around getting money in and out of super if you need it to support whatever whatever circumstances you find yourself in. Jackie, is a self-managed super fund for everybody? Is it something that everyone should have a look at to see if it's the best option for them? Look, you'd really need to have at least a minimum of $200,000 invested in your superannuation fund before you even looked at a self-managed superannuation fund. So, yeah, definitely anybody that has over that sort of level of funds in their in their super and is wanting to take control of their super, you are really quite actively involved in, in running your superannuation fund and need to be on top of the rules and, and what's required and all that sort of thing, Kevin. But that's where someone like you comes in to, to help them along the way so they don't actually need to, you know, have a CPA. Yeah, definitely. We make the process as easy as possible. Absolutely. And you've been at uh, CSCG now for what? Are you in the mid nineties? You joined? Yeah. So I started in ninety six here at um, CSCG, and yeah, have remained there through throughout that time. Gee, uh, superannuation's changed a lot in uh, in uh, a its structure and and how important it's become to people now in, the, in that amount of time, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely, and it's on the increase as well, Kevin. So, you know, most people would know that SGC rates are increasing all the way up to 12% going forward. So, yeah, definitely something that we should be interested in. Terrific, Jackie. Thanks for your time. appreciate it. Keep doing the great job you do at uh, CSCG, and uh, we appreciate your time on the podcast. No worries. Thank you. Don't forget that telephone number at CSCG. It is 03 And check out all you need to know and meet the team and see their services on the website, cscg.com.au. They're also on social media as well. My thanks to CSCG for their continued support of the Authorised Podcast. My thanks to Andrew Mackey uh, for his book and his time. Uh, the Tour is the name of the book, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy that book. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy our next edition of the Authorised Podcast. Plenty of other previous episodes of Authorised too, just check out your podcast provider and you can uh, go back and have a listen to some of the, the great people we've talked to, like Peter Fitzsimons and Monica McInerney and William McGuinness over the episodes that we've had of this podcast so far. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Uh, enjoy yourself and take care. Music.